I'm not a huge movie buff, but I like movies, right? You, you, you with me in at least liking movies? Yes, yeah, some movie buffs maybe. And, and, and I have noticed, I don't know that you've noticed, but that good movies, at least in my category of good movies, thrive on unlikely storylines. I like to be surprised in a movie, right? I, I, I don't like the movie that I'm going to predict what the ending is going to be, right? I, I like the surprise. I, I like the unlikely storyline. I think with me this morning, maybe, do you have a movie in mind that has that unlikely storyline? A favorite movie that you love because it has so surprised you with an unlikely ending. You there? Maybe you need some help. So I picked out the classic uh, unexpected ending, unlikely storyline clip for us this morning. You ready for that? Hey, let's play. Right? So, so, so the, how, how many of you know that scene? You knew it when it was coming out. So, yeah, Grace, my granddaughter, is here. She's four. She knows those lines, right? She'll tell you after service today, Luke, I am your father, right? That, we, we, one of the most honest. In fact, listen, do you, I don't know if you know the story behind that. Those of you that are Star Wars freaks, you, you know the story behind this, right? That when they actually filmed that, 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 that um, Darth Vader said, hey, it was Obi-Wan who killed your father, right? So they uh, said, so you killed my father. No, Obi-Wan killed your father. And that's what they did in the set. It wasn't until the premiere screening, the first time that the cast would get together to see the final product, that the cast knew that Darth Vader says, I am your father. And they were blown away. So Mark Hamill, who plays Luke Skywalker, was one of three people that knew. He said it's the hardest secret that he ever had to keep. He had to keep it for an entire year because it was so, what, unexpected. Such an unlikely story. So uh, unlikely storylines in the movies are done to intrigue you and make you spend your money to see them. Right? You with me? Today's text is an unlikely storyline. Maybe one that you have not heard before. But it is a classic in the life of Elisha. If you're just joining us, we have been in a study on the life of Elisha, mostly in 2 Kings since January. And if you've been here, I think you agree with me that these stories are captivating. Many of them have unlikely storylines. However, they were not made to make George Lucas money. 
But rather, they are lived and told in order that we might together have hope in God. That ultimately, they will cause us to trust God in whatever circumstances, whatever season we are in. To show us that God is indeed a restoring God. That we might clearly hear our memory verse in this series, one that you have all memorized so well that you might say it with me or read it off the screen, right? Uh, Revelation 21.5, let's say it together. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write these things down. For they words are trustworthy and true. Sorry, I should probably read it as well. Write this down, for these words are trusted to right? So he who sits on the throne, God is sitting on the throne, and he says, I am making uh, a lot of things new. No, he says, I'm making, like, all things new. I'm restoring all things. And he says, write it down, because you're going to forget it. And these words are trustworthy and true. Today's story is another one of those Elisha stories in which God is making something new. So slide to the edge of your seat. Put your expectations high for an unlikely storyline in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. As I read it, check out this highly unlikely story of restoration. We'll see today unlikely characters, unlikely commands, and unlikely healing with an unlikely message. 2 Kings chapter 5. Verses 1 through 15. Now Naaman, who was the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, Know that I have sent you to you, Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king, as King Jehoram of Israel, read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? What this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy. Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Pafar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. 
But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. May God help us in the understanding of this, his holy word. Uh, You ready to drink from a fire hydrant this morning? There is so much here. So we're going to quickly run through some unlikely characters, look at some of the unlikely commands to see and get to that unlikely healing that we might hear a message this morning, an unlikely message, or better put, a message to the unlikely from this text. The unlikely characters. Well, first we meet Naaman here in this text. Who in the world is Naaman? We're told uh, a number of things about him. He's commander of the Syrian army, the strongest probably army in the known world at that time. So Syria is rising um, in their uh, power and in their authority. They're overtaking other countries. They're in a process of even thinking about overtaking Israel. They would eventually overtake Israel. And, And so this man was part of that army. He was a leader of that army. And he got to that place because he was so successful in his conquest, right? He was a courageous man. He was a brave man. He was a strong man. And and he has risen through the ranks until he is number two next to the king of Syria with regard to people of authority in Syria. But there's a big but in his life, isn't there? He has all of that. He could do anything he wanted. He had all the resources at his disposal But he was a leper. You know something about leprosy, right? We've studied the Bible before. We see that in these days, this is a a disease. A.W. Pink calls it a living death. Uh, The reality of a a skin uh, uh, disease that literally begins to eat away at the tissues of your body. You hear the stories of folks who have lost limbs and the reality of you lose a sense of of pain and so you would burn yourself and not know it. It would be all of this indeed and it was something that was not curable. There was nobody in Naaman's day that had any cure. When you got leprosy, it was a death sentence. And so the man, listen to the contrast, the man who has everything has one thing that no one can heal. That's Naaman. Naaman meets, though, a Hebrew maid. We're not even told her name. A Hebrew maid, a a captive. Uh, We're we're told that that in one of Naaman's conquests, they brought home some Hebrew people. And so they've literally ripped these Hebrews from their families, from their country. And this young girl, probably 14, 13, 14 years of age, has been taken from her family. and, And she's been brought to Syria. And she's been placed in Naaman's household. We don't know her name. There's not a lot of significance to her. But we find her in a significant place. So get this, right? Naaman has everything but can't heal the thing that's wrong with him. This Hebrew girl has nothing but God has providentially placed her in earshot of Naaman. 
catch this, right? Uh, next we meet Jehoram. He is the king of Israel. I think it's kind of interesting that the historian doesn't even give his name. He's not a good king. He's an evil king. He does not follow in the ways of God. But he was a king of Israel. He would have been aware of the history of God's rule and reign in Israel's history. He would have heard the stories of the Red Sea. He would have heard the stories that would have come before him of God's power and of his greatness. But King Jehoram, having that great heritage, knowing those great stories, has chosen to not walk with his God. In fact, when the letter comes from the king of Syria that he thinks he is supposed to cure this man, he like freaks out, right? Tears his clothes. He's going to grieve. He's going to lament Because he thinks this is a trick. He thinks that the Syrian army is following Naaman into... And and this is some way in which they have gained an upper hand in Israel. He has completely forgotten his God and fallen into fear. Jehoram. Then there's Elisha. Elisha, the only but in Elisha's life is but God, right? Right? There's all these things packed up against him, stacked against him, but God does things. I mean, so Elisha at this point, we know, we've heard the stories, right? He brought a boy back from the dead, right? He he threw a little flour in a pot just a few days ago, and it it was okay. It went from being poisoned to being edible, right? He he just took some few loaves and fed 100 people with them. So when everything is stacked against Elisha, there's this one uh, amazing idea is that, but God is doing something. God is indeed up to something. And so Elisha, even isn't in the room, but he has earshot of the reality that King Jehoram has torn his garments. And so he says, what's up with this? Why don't you invite this guy to the prophet of Israel? Why don't you invite him? And then finally, the last characters in this story, the unlikely characters of this story are the servants of Naaman. They're clearly men of submission to Naaman. Naaman is a powerful man, so those who are in service to him um, probably highly trusted by Naaman, but would rarely speak against his wishes. Right? You, you get a picture of these guys, they kind of run and do what Naaman says to do. But in this story, when Naaman is in a rage, they actually speak boldly risking everything. So as we look through those characters, there's one uh, uh, principle that I I want us to see, that I uh, want us to get. Notice the unlikely nature of our characters. That the strong are made weak so that the weak might become influential. You see that? Naaman is made weak through leprosy. Jehoram is made weak through his faithlessness. But the weak, the servant girl, Naaman's servants, are made strong and given voices in this story. And Naaman is thrown into the desperation of leprosy so that he might have ears to hear the command of those under him. And those under him, a Hebrew maid, Elisha, and the servants, have influential voices that are heard by this commander. Unlikely characters. So with me? Here today, out of these unlikely characters, some unlikely commands. How about the message of the Hebrew maid? The Hebrew maid 
is just this 14-year-old girl, and in the context of, of leprosy, of death, right, she says to her lady, it's too bad that Master Naaman can't go to Samaria because there he can meet a prophet that could cure him. Now, I want us to pause there for just a second, right? Because we can read through that and go, oh, isn't that sweet? The little girl says, why don't you go? I, I want you to hear the, the weight and the depth of what this girl says. It, it's too bad, she says, that the leader of the strongest army in the world can't go to enemy territory among a people that he cannot stand to meet a man of God, a God who is at the very center of his hatred for these people. That doesn't seem to register. Can, I, I'm going to give you a messed up statement. You ready for a, a messed up statement? This is just a messed up statement, but I, I hope it, it, it helps you understand the weight of what this girl is saying. It might be like having a 14-year-old student hanging out with the Secretary of State to do some yard work and say to him in his cancer struggle, I, I only wish you'd go to North Korea to meet a Buddhist. I mean, that's, that's just astounding, right? You feel, that's just, it's, it's sublime to the ridiculous, right? This 14-year-old girl is making the weight of that statement. King, commander of the army, of the Syrian army, why don't you go to this land that you detest to meet with a prophet of God whom you can't stand? And, and then hear this, she doesn't say, maybe you'd be cured. Hear faith as a 14-year-old girl so that you will be healed of your leprosy. I love this girl. I mean, I want to go hang out with her. How in the world is this one who has, has suffered such pain? Many of the commentators uh, identify her as the suffering servant, right? The, the one who's been torn from her family, the one who has so many things stacked up against her, and yet she's remembering the stories of her homeland. She's remembering Elisha, a prophet who has power. And in a moment... And when she could lose her life, she risks everything to say, man, it's too bad you can't go to Samaria to meet this prophet. He would cure you of your leprosy. That's an unlikely command. There's a second unlikely command in this text. It's the command of Elisha to Naaman. You hear it? Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. <laughs> Get this. So the black Escalade convoy of chariots, right? You get my picture? The black Escalade convoy of chariots have pulled up with Naaman in the middle chariot, right? And, and he does something that he's probably never done in his life. He got out of his seat and went to Elisha's modest home and knocks on the door, right? What does Naaman usually do? Hey, blah, 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 blah. go do this, go do that, go do this. I, you know, go fetch that guy. He's got to come heal me. Hey, he does, I, I give him props. He got off his, yeah, and he went to the door, right? And he knocks on the door to greet Elisha. <laughs> I, I, I read this week uh, uh, a preacher, J.D. Greer, who said, I fully expect that when, when the servant, you get this? the servant comes to the door, that Naaman could see past the servant and see Elisha with his feet up on the coffee table watching ESPN, right? 
and, and, and this, this anger comes over him because here's this prominent, important man who deserves all kinds of, wherever he goes, there's attention. And he's taken the low road, the, 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 the high road rather, to, to be able to come off of his chariot to go to the door. And who does Elisha send to the door? Servant, hey, go get that. And will you tell him, uh, go wash in the Jordan River seven times? Like that's going to go over well, right? So, so hear this, hear what Naaman is expecting. He even says it. I, I thought like the prophet would come and he would call down God and there would be this like tornado that goes around me. I mean, I don't know if he's heard the story of Elijah uh, against the Baal prophets, right? And this idea that God's going to show up and he's going to wave his hands around me and, and all of a sudden, poof, I'm going to be made healed. Right? I thought that's what's going to happen. But he sends his servant. Not only does he send his servant, but he says, go wash in the Jordan River seven times. Do you understand? <laughs> Do you understand the craziness of that statement? Of that command? How unlikely that command is? First of all, in people's minds, the Jordan River is associated with the power of Jehovah God. Right? It's this river that has so many connections and significant points with regard to God. And Naaman is not a follower of God. Let's get that straight, right? He's got many other gods. And so he's, listen, you're you're, you're telling me to go to the river of your God? That ain't good. And and then you're telling me to go to this river, right, that is, is really not all that beautiful. I mean, we have rivers in Syria right, that, that are clean and pristine and good. I can wash in those rivers, but the Jordan River, have you seen the Jordan River? And some of you who have been to Israel, and if you haven't, Bob would love to take your name and number today because he's going back, right? But the, if you've been to, to Israel and you've seen the Jordan, it is unimpressive. Probably of all the things that I saw in Israel when there, the most unimpressive thing was like, this is the Jordan. It's like a wide creek, muddy, Uneventful, right? And, and so here that, Naaman knows this. And, and, and here's the servant said, I want you to go to that muddy, oversized creek and wash <laughs> seven times. Now listen, not wash once. Like, I can see, getting it, oh no. No, listen, go in and wash seven times. How unlikely is that command? And because of its unlikeliness, what does Naaman do? He flies into a rage. I can't believe I came all this way for this guy to interrupt his ESPN watching to send his servant to the door to tell me to go wash in a dirty river. He's in a rage. Which leads us to our third unlikely command. Do you hear his servants? Let me ask you. Like, if you're at work someday and some guy has just given counsel to your boss, right? You with me? Counsel to your boss that he doesn't like and he is angry, right? So he's like livid with regard to the counsel that he's just gotten. And so he's flying around the office and papers are flying. And it's that moment where everybody says, let him go to his office, give him some space, right? Would you have the gall 
to go to your boss and go, you know, you know what, boss? I think they've got a point. I think that guy actually has really good, that, that counsel that you're so enraged about, I think it's actually pretty good. Well, first of all, you're going to lose your job. You might lose your head. And yet, that's exactly what these servants do. These servants who are at the beck and call of Naaman, after hearing this, they go to Naaman in his rage and go, I think the prophet might have something. Like, wouldn't it be good to at least try while we're here? Unlikely commands. Unlikely characters with unlikely commands that leads to an unlikely healing. Get ready for the crux of all of this. Somehow, Naaman goes. And he gets in the Jordan. And he washes once. And he washes twice. And he washes three. He washes six. And as he comes up from the seventh wash, his flesh is like a baby's bottom, right? The leprosy is gone. Hang on to that. How unlikely is that? I don't know about you, to me, I, I would rather look at the leprosy that Naaman suffers from as justice. You're an evil man. You're an organizer of terroristic threats to the people of God. You have, you have done raids that have ripped young girls from their families. Your leprosy is justice. Sorry. I mean, he's clearly the bad guy. If we stand back and simply look at him... As a leper, we call it justice. And we are pleased. He is getting what he deserves. But listen. Listen to God in this story. He doesn't call it justice. He calls it an opportunity. Because God, he thrives in the unlikely. And as much as God had been behind the rise in power of Naaman, it says in his text that the Lord had given victory to Syria through this commander. As much as God is behind the leprosy that he now has, God is unfolding in all of this a story of restoration, a story of an unlikely healing. Was, was Naaman actually convinced by a young maid to go to Samaria? Uh, I'd say more likely the young maid was used by God to accomplish what he was already doing. Was Naaman convinced by Elisha and his servants to wash in the Jordan? Uh, more likely they were but tools in the hands of God to do what he was already doing. Listen, God is not a spectator to this going, hmm, what a coincidence, maybe we should take advantage of it. No, he has determined it. I'm going to use this powerful Gentile who hates my people to show them that anyone, even the unlikely, might be touched by me. God Jehovah. 
I would suggest to you that the healing of Naaman's leprosy wasn't the end of the story, but a means to a greater story. Listen, his healing is beautiful, it is extraordinary, it is unlikely, but it's not the point. It, it is not the end of the story, but a means to tell this story, the story of what appears to be the conversion of Naaman. Now, more on this next week. Hopefully you come back. Look at verse 15, though. Naaman proclaims, there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. It is a proclamation of belief, of apparent conversion. It is a proclamation of praise, and it is the ultimate end to this story, the proclamation of the glory of God. If you can imagine a quilt folded over many times, this quilt is being unfolded by, by Naaman's leprosy, by the handmaid's um, a testimony of the prophet, uh, of Jehoram's rejection of him, of Elisha's acceptance of him, uh, of the reality of this command to wash and, and the servant's willingness to risk everything to go and encourage him till that Naaman gets in and he is made clean. But even Naaman recognizes it more than just get up out of the water and go, hey, thanks God, I'm on my way. No, he recognizes in that moment the beautiful glory of the fullness of this quilt that has been unfolded before him and that God is glorious and God is big and God restores. Naaman making that kind of proclamation is highly unlikely. In fact, it's downright impossible outside of an amazing God. And the fact that God uses the unlikely as opportunities for his glory. One more thought, though, because this unlikely story unfolds in some unlikely messages for us today as well. As this story unfolds to show the glory of God, it is a story in a larger quilt, if you will, in a larger story of God that unfolds to speak to us today. An unlikely message, or maybe better put, a message for you, the unlikely. Anytime we study the Old Testament, Romans 15.4 is important, but maybe uh, today it is especially important. It says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Here's the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction and through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? Hope. Do you gather hope from this story? That's why it has been written. It is why it is in the fabric of the scriptures that leads us ultimately to Christ. Listen, throughout this series, I've, I've come back to thinking about what the first readers might have thought so that we might have some clue as to what we should walk away with in any given story. And I've told you, these readers are those who have been exiled. And guess who they are in captivity to? The Assyrian army. <laughs> the army that, that Naaman once led. And they're reading this story. What do you think it says to them that we might think about what it might say 
to us. I mean, how badly did they want to see justice done? How badly would they want to see Naaman perish in his leprosy? But this likely story of him perishing is not the story of God. God's story is an unlikely story. And the unlikely story would ultimately be a story of hope to these captives. How many times had these captives said, well, we're likely never to get home. Only hear God say, ah, but I'm a God of the unlikely. I'll take you home. How many times have they thought that their captive voices were like, likely not heard by anyone? But learn in this story that God, in an unlikely way, uses the voice of the weak to influence the strong. How many times have they reflected on their own sin and the sin of their nation to come to the conclusion that we are likely to die as a result of our failures, only to hear that an unlikely God is ready to use our sinful lives as an opportunity to showcase His glory? You see it? They're reading it, and they're going, how crazy is this? And this morning, I, I think about you, about myself. What about us? Are we stuck in the likely? You know, it's likely that nothing will ever change in my circumstances of hopelessness. Well, smile, because I know a God who is loving to do the unlikely. Are you sitting here this morning, listening this morning, and you feel sentenced to not have an influential voice of change among any of your family and friends who do not know Jesus? Is it likely that they will never listen to you? (laughs) Well, I tell you, smile, because I know a God who loves to do the unlikely, to take the voice of a young maid, voice of some eager servants and change things. Maybe mostly we sit and we wonder this morning, are my sins too great, too consequential? Do we feel like we're likely to wallow in our sins for the remainder of our days? Well, hear the unlikely message of Naaman today that cries out, No! Our unlikely is God's opportunity. Our leprosy, if you will, is our sin. And our sin is the foundation to our lack of faith. The thing that will keep us quiet, the thing that will keep us wrapped tightly in what we see as hopeless. But Naaman's restoration points us not just to hope. Listen, it points us to Jesus. Today we need not make a spiritual pilgrimage to the Jordan and wash seven times. Sorry, Bob, you would like them all to go, right? But we need not go to the Jordan and wash seven times. That is not the command. The command of Jesus is repent. (laughs) Repent. Turn away from your sin, and I will make you clean. 
Because Jesus has washed us once and for all by his death and resurrection. Paul tells us in Romans 5, 8, you know it. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still what? Sinners. While we still had leprosy. While we were still hopeless that Christ died for us. That's unlikely. That's unlikely. But it is the very thing that saves us. And I ask you this morning, have you trusted Jesus to save you? To make you clean? If you're here this morning, you're listening online and you're out of hope, low on faith and struggling with your sin. Take a journey with Naaman this morning. Hear that there is one who will heal you. Move this morning toward him. Maybe as we've sung this morning, run to him. Run to Jesus. Hear his instruction to turn away from your sin. Be encouraged by his love, not his justice, so that together this morning we might proclaim his glory, that we are clean. Hear this morning that your, that our unlikely is God's opportunity. Avoid the dark side, right? Avoid the dark side of hopelessness. It is not your father. God is your father. A heavenly, loving, perfect daddy who has been working out a plan for all eternity to reveal his love to you. To reveal to you that he has a plan And he's had a plan all along to restore you to himself, to make you clean. Naaman is just a cool part of the larger story. But one this morning that does reveal that our unlikely is God's opportunity.